So I'm going to pray. Please agree with me as I pray over the word tonight. And help me preach this tonight. Give me your best, dear. I feel like it'll really help you. I'm dealing with the power of Pentecost, but how many knows we need the power in our lives? Um, anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and dive into this, but let's pray. And if you would, just as little moving around as possible or talking or anything like that, just help me with this. And let's believe God for an awesome time in the word. This goes out beyond here. And so as you agree with me in prayer, you've got to understand, I've gone back, and to my, my surprise, looking over old podcasts from last year or whatever, there, there are hundreds of people, 250, 350, upward of 500 sometimes, people that listen to these podcasts. I get contacted from people throughout the nation, people throughout the world, other nations that listen to our podcast. I've been surprised how far this goes out. I really have. And I've had a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are hungry for more than what's they're around right now. They're hungry. They, they really want an encounter with God. They want Book of Acts, Christianity. I mean, there's something in us that, that when you read the Bible, you want to see that Book of Acts reality there in your life. And there's people out there hungry. So, Father, as we come to you in Jesus' name and through his blood, Lord, we thank you for your word. We bless you and praise you. You're worthy of all the glory. And we ask you tonight that the heavens will be open, that your glory be awesome. And, Lord, I ask you that you would anoint and speak through me every single thing that needs to be spoken. Out of the scriptures, maybe testimonies of things that have happened, um, whatever, Lord, just speak through me everything that needs to be said. Let your Holy Spirit right now move upon every one of us, people that are listening to this live, people on Facebook, people that are going to hear this later. They may be on an airplane. They may be driving down the road, wherever people are. Lord, let your Holy Spirit move upon us right now to give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, that by the Spirit of God, help us, Lord, that our minds will get focused and not distracted. We'll kind of get locked in to what you're saying to us, the power of the Word of God that we need, that we don't get distracted and miss something. Lord, help us to have good, fertile soil of our hearts. Now, we're not going to have hard hearts, but the Word of God will go out tonight as living seeds of truth sown into that good soil of hearts and minds and lives. Be watered by the Holy Spirit and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Fruit that remains. And Lord, let this be powerful and effective and fruitful. And Lord, I pray that this word will be like a hammer that's going to break through any strongholds of the enemy. A sword that's going to penetrate to the deepest places. Lord, let your word be a bright, shining light of truth and revelation that will dispel the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy and bring truth. And Lord, let this be like the washing of the water of the word that purifies your bride. Lord, we ask you to confirm your word with signs that follow. Let it be anointed and powerful tonight. And we stand on the promise that your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We believe that, we expect that. But we also know that the Bible says Jesus taught us the birds of the air try to steal that seed. So, Lord, we agree together in a way of spiritual warfare here for just a moment. And we take authority over the enemy that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to be and accomplishing what it's supposed to do and would try to be like a thief to steal. In Jesus' name as a church, we bind you now. We command you to back off this word right now. It will get where it's supposed to go, and it will accomplish what it's supposed to do in Jesus' name. Lord, let your mighty angels go and just clear the atmosphere. And let there be freedom. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll tell you, last week when I started this series, it's always a good sign. But there was, there was a strong spirit of resistance coming against me. And I had someone had a dream about a hindering spirit. I believe that's what that was. It was a hindering spirit. But it still went forth and, and it got out there. Amen. The devil's not going to stop the word. But it was hard. It's hard to preach against that because you're wanting to get into a flow and something's just continually trying to hinder that flow. But anyway, thank you, prayer warriors and intercessors. You cleared that away, and it's free tonight. It's easy to preach like it usually is. But I believe that this, the content of these sermons, the content is a major threat to the enemy. And if people can really grasp the depth of what's being talked about here, I believe it would change your life. I really do, because... Just going back over just a little bit from last week, 
we've got to be plugged into the right root systems. It's a big deal. If you're, if you're connected to roots, if you're, okay, here, let me say it this way like I did last week. If you're connected to like an apple tree root, that's going to be the fruit that you're going to bear is apples. There's no way that the root system of an apple tree is going to produce oranges. It's not going to happen. So we've got to be careful what we're connected to because it will try to force that kind of fruit. And that's something that I, I talked about last week. I can't get back into it, but just be careful to be led by God to the right church and the right connections in ministry and in life that God wants you to have. And let me tell you, biblical uh, coverings, apostolic, true spiritual authority. We, we're in these latter days. We cannot afford to have some kind of paper mache of some kind of an institutionalized thing that is just of man. It's a popularity thing. It's a man structure. It's not going to be able to gird up under the weight of the warfare that's going to come against God's people if it's just of man and man's authority. It's going to have to be something where there is an anointing of the Holy One. There is spiritual authority that's endowed there. It's apostolic. It has authority. That type of covering is what we need to be under. And that type of covering is biblical, and that covering will bring great protection in these latter days. Is that making sense? So kind of to sum up last week in a nutshell, that pretty much sums it up. But I've gone out of my way in prayer and, I, and fasting for years. I was seeking the Lord about what to do, how to be connected. Because when things uh, began to wane out of the 90s revivals, I didn't know where to connect. But God really blessed me and brought the right people. And you're going to meet some of them this Pentecost conference. Precious, wonderful people that God's connected us to that have the same root system. And their heart is the same as ours. And they are a powerful apostolic covering over this church. All right. So, anyway, let me move forward with this. I'm going to do my best to talk about this tonight in a way that, that God's put on my heart. And I'm going to do my best to explain it. The Holy Spirit's just going to have to help me. But this is something that I believe that this culture in America may not really understand. And so as I'm talking about this tonight, keep that in mind that some of this will really go against our culture. But how many knows that God moves through lines of inheritance? Think about it for a moment. God called Abraham... There was lines of inheritance. There was something that went down into Isaac's life, down through Jacob, through the 12 tribes. There's always been these lines of inheritance that God has honored. Now, that can obviously be biological. Now, the enemy understands this. So the enemy also does the exact same thing. He also tries to move through lines of inheritance. And that's where you get familiar spirits and families and, and family curses and oppression, things like that. But lines of inheritance are a big deal, spiritually speaking. And not, not only am I dealing with tonight biological inheritance, like, you know, you draw your blood, DNA. I'm not necessarily just talking about that. I'm also talking about spiritual lines of inheritance did you know that there are spiritual lines of inheritance that travel down like a spiritual bloodline that is extremely powerful God honors it and the enemy honors it as well he has to and the enemy has that as well there, in his kingdom there's like a spiritual succession from one to the next generation down that he does the same thing among his people but look at what Paul wrote here, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 4.14. He said, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now look at that, children. He said, for if I were to have countless teachers in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. Did you see that? For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Isn't that interesting? 
He said you want a bunch of teachers, but you don't necessarily want fathers, and you need fathers is what he's saying. Corinthian church, you need fathers. I'm your father in the faith. You need that. Paul understood lines of inheritance. I think it's also interesting that Paul saw something in Timothy. Do you remember him saying to Timothy, he said that you're my spiritual son, Timothy, but I see something in you that I also see in your mama, and I see it in your grandma. It's in you. Lines of inheritance. So not only biologically, but there is something about spiritual lines of inheritance where we have spiritual mothers and fathers in the faith, and I'm not talking about institutionalized, man-made things here. I'm talking about literal spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith. God is, there's always been, for the last 2,000 years, Satan has done a great job of institutionalizing a religious system that is not really true biblical Christianity. <clears throat> it usually does not put the emphasis on being born again, but it puts the emphasis on their belief systems and measuring up to what they say you need to. It's a religious, institutionalized thing that the emphasis is joining their group and becoming like them. You see it. There's so many examples. I don't even know where to begin, but all through the ages, the last 2,000 years, Satan has done a good job of that, and it's just a shell of what it's supposed to be, there's no anointing, there's no power, there's no healings and miracles, there's no deliverance. It's just an institutionalized religious system of man. But God has this remnant in the earth, he always has, that it's back to biblical book of Acts, true Christianity. The emphasis is on the right things, there's an anointing. And down through the ages, there's been these spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith that have passed down what God gave them. They've had spiritual children that passed it down to the next generation, spiritual children that's passed it down to the next generation. It's very powerful, but you can see there's lines of inheritance there. It's like a generational blessing. I'm hoping to explain this good tonight. But we need the mothers and fathers of the faith. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But the Bible talks about Jesus and it says this. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Matthew 3.11. John the Baptist, they were talking to him about the Messiah, etc. He said, look, there's one coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. He said, look, he, I baptize with water. But he that's coming after me, he's mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly clear the threshing floor. You know what that means? In those days, the pitchfork tossing the grain up in the air, the wind would come and blow away the chaff. In other words, he's saying Jesus is going to purify. He's going to be like a winnowing fork that separates what's of God and what's not. And he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. But he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So tonight I want to maybe share a few testimonies and some things as I go. But there's something that I feel is very important. Um, so back whenever I grew up around Pentecost in my life, growing up, and I saw some things that are really powerful. And so things like that were not uncomfortable to me because I grew up around that. I mean, I saw people baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I knew it was real. I saw them really touched by God. And I saw there was times that people were healed and delivered of things, and it was, just, it was awesome. But in reality, Pentecost at that time was, was really not as nearly as powerful as it should be, to be honest. It had kind of lost a lot of the anointing. But God sent revival. 
during the 90s. There's a great sweeping revival. I'll get into it more next week. I'll get into more details. But in the mid-80s or so, Carlos Anacondia, they began to have great revival sweeping through the Argentina. Here in the States, we began to see great revival. Uh, Benny Hinn meetings, Rodney Howard Brown meetings, into all the way into the Pensacola revival, 95. Toronto, sweeping revivals in Europe. Colin Dye, Ken Gott, others. It was just a tsunami tidal wave. Reinhard Bonnke saw a great revival in Africa during those days. In China, it was an underground church, but I mean millions were getting saved. Incredible move of God in China. All over the world, it was like this sweeping move of God. And I remember that I was able to go to Pensacola, and it was 96, March of 96. And God really touched my life there. It was very powerful. Even though I had been around Christianity, you know, I'd never really, I don't know, it was like a lot of times people grow up in church, if they're not careful, they know about the Lord. They know the God of their fathers, but they don't really know him. You know, it's like they need to, and I didn't. But I really gave my life to the Lord in 95. And I went to this revival, and I was surprised. I mean, I saw the power of God there in a way on a level that I had never seen growing up in Pentecost. God had moved, but this was a whole nother level. And I remember seeing people lined up outside, hungry to get into church. And you've heard me talk about it. And as the altar call was given, you know, Brother Steve was given the altar call. And there was such an anointing in the atmosphere. You felt like you needed to go down and get saved. Even if you were saved, you felt like you needed to make sure that you were right with God. It was the fear of God in that place. People, people, it was a very healthy, good thing that people were really under a conviction and making sure everything was right with God and I remember everybody just it, there were people coming off the streets they were running down there night after night after night after night hundreds and hundreds of people running down to the altar to give their life to Christ people that were just religious in church didn't really know the Lord realizing that repenting and I remember while I was there I just felt such a conviction I began to weep under the presence of God even up in the balcony went down and uh, was praying so making sure everything was right with the Lord. Since 96, I was about 20 years old. I was very young. And I remember I went back in the back. I wanted prayer, and they had altar workers coming to pray for people. And one individual just simply prayed for me. But I remember being hit by the power of God and thrown back and landing on my back, and I felt like I was baptized in fire. And that scripture right there became very real to me. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Because that's what happened to me. And I came up off that floor, and I have had that fire in my life to this day. All those years later, that 1996. To this day, that fire is still in my life. And when I got off the floor, I was different. There was, there was a hunger for the Lord I'd never had. Not on that level. I mean, I wanted, I wanted to spend as much time as I could in prayer, in the Word. I began to have a burden for souls like I never had before. And God really touched me, really baptized me with fire. And that became, Brownsville became like my spiritual roots, like, an, like a spiritual heritage, if you will. That's my root system. When I came back, I remember that I was just helping out with this little church. That I, was, I was actually going to Bible school, and I was helping out with this little church I was at with some of the young people. And I remember coming back in those days, and again, I was still extremely young in the Lord. I was a baby Christian myself. But God had touched me. And I remember just sharing with some of the young people, and they began to weep, and they come down and get prayer, and the power of God started falling in those meetings. And see, seeing young people get touched by God really powerfully. But there is more than where we're at, but we've got to be hungry for the more. And there is a clothing of power. As God began to increase what he was doing, I saw, I mean, I've been in meetings where healings and miracles have happened. People are delivered from demon spirits. I've seen these things many times, not a few, many times. And people baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's people in this room that have been healed of things, supernaturally healed by the power of God in River of Life. 
There's people that have been delivered of things that really tormented their lives, things they needed to be set free from. And there's people in this room that have been baptized in the Holy Ghost and with fire, and will tell you it was an, it, you know God did an awesome thing in their life. But we need this power in our lives. We need it in our churches. We need the life of God. That's what is a threat to the enemy. So Luke twenty four forty nine, the clothing of power. Jesus said, again, this is Luke giving this account, but he also gives the same account in Acts, and I'll show you. He said, now Jesus said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He then opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There's a lot of religious people that know about the Lord, but until the Lord really touches them, you see, the scriptures are just going to be like a, a dry thing that they really don't understand. But Jesus opened their minds where they could understand the scriptures. And he said, thus, is, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance or forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you forth or sending forth the promise of the Father upon you. You will stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands like a priest, and he blessed them. I believe it was the Aaronic blessing, Lord, blessing, keep you. He would have sung it in Hebrew. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And, and they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Now, same writer, Luke, writes the book of Acts, gives the same account here, a little bit different details in Acts 1-6. He says, so when they had come together, they were asking the Lord, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you, look at this, Jesus said, here's the emphasis, though, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. So there's a power to be his witness. Both in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after that, he, after he said those things, he was lifted up while they were looking on that a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white, clothed, uh, white clothing stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why are you looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up to heaven will come in the same way just as you've watched him go. And that's going to be an awesome time when Jesus' feet touch the Mount of Olives and they split in two and he walks into Jerusalem to sit on the throne of his father David and to reign the nations with an iron scepter, reign over the nations rather. So anyway, Jesus put the emphasis on the power. So Jesus was saying, if you could just follow this line of thinking here, Jesus began his ministry how did he start the ministry he goes to john at the jordan and he submits himself to be baptized which is not what a lot of the gentile church thinks there was a passing of the priesthood there because john the baptist was actually a descendant of aaron that's too long for me to try to explain that but anyway jesus it's like john passed what he had with god to the lord and he said now he must increase i must decrease next thing you know john is removed off the scene but Jesus comes up out of the water, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon him gently like a dove would. I personally don't believe it was a bird. I believe the Holy Spirit settled on him like a garment, but it was gently like a dove would settle, see? So Jesus was clothed with power, and that's how he began things. But it's interesting, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to have to face spiritual warfare. So at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he has to go through 40 days of testing. He has to fast. He has to face very high-level warfare facing the devil himself. But Jesus comes back, and what does the Bible say about him? He comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the key. 
Even when Jesus stood up in the synagogue to begin to reveal himself and his ministry, the first thing Jesus does is open the scroll of Isaiah, and he finds the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. And he began to talk about the, to heal the sick, you know, and deliver the captives, etc. And bind up and heal the brokenhearted. But the very first thing Jesus did as he began his ministry was to read that portion of scripture which says what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus' ministry did not begin until he was clothed with power from on high. And I'll tell you something else interesting because here in America, it's one way, but the very first thing Jesus did in his ministry as far as miracles, we know the water to wine, but the first real miracle was casting demons out, deliverance. But Jesus had that clothing of power. And whenever he's talking to the disciples here, he said this, he said, look, it's not for you to know the days and the times and all that that's set by the Father. We're trying to figure all that out. He said, you go wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Don't try to begin the ministry without the clothing of power. And so they waited for the book of Acts. They waited for um, the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. And we know in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, and we're about to have the day of Pentecost coming up, the end of May. And we're going to have a conference at that time for this reason. But it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. But go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, the emphasis there is upon. See, when we accept Christ as our Savior, this, is, this sermon is not meant to be like a doctrinal debate about this, but I might as well rabbit trail for a moment. But when we accept the Lord as our Savior, we're born again. You better be born again, or you're just religious. You're a terror among the wheat. Make sure that you are, in fact, born again. But the Holy Spirit comes in us, and we're born of God. We're different. But that's the Spirit of God indwelling. This is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is where the Lord baptizes you in the Holy Ghost with fire and what the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. And this was meant to be the Lord's witness. And there's so many stories I could tell. I just pray the Holy Spirit just lead down this path of things. But is I didn't, I didn't put a lot of scripture in here to, to just stay on like a teaching. I wanted to share stories. Because you need to know this is real today. This isn't just something you read about that took place a couple thousand years ago that people documented events of that time. It's not like that. Down through the ages, there have been people that have walked in the power of the Holy Spirit and seen the supernatural. And we're supposed to. It's supposed to be normal Book of Acts biblical Christianity. But how many knows that the devil, the greatest threat to the enemy is people that are anointed like Jesus was, clothed with power like he was, that are going to go under an anointing being his witness. See, that's what the enemy's scared of. I remember this guy, you've heard me tell this many times, but this guy was telling me that at this particular college here in Dallas, we were all sitting at this event somewhere, it was a bunch of preachers who were talking, and he was telling me about this event where they had had, I don't remember the details, but at this particular college, they had had debates going on for years. And people got up and debated about different things. And it was just simply a debate about Christian, Christian beliefs or whatever, amongst other people debating. And he said, did you know? And he was saying this with just shock. He said, did you know that all these years they've been doing this, not one person has got saved? And it surprised him because I thought, I said, well, I wouldn't think they would. And it really shocked him I said that. And I said, because it's not an intellectual debate. People are going to accept the Lord when the Holy Spirit convicts them and when the Holy Spirit moves upon them and opens them up unto salvation 
It is a spiritual thing. It's not an intellectual debate. And if you get somebody to intellectually agree with you, doesn't mean that they're saved. It just means that you've won an argument. You better get them born again. You understand? There's a difference. But the clothing of power has to do with the anointing to see people come to know the Lord. And I remember back in those days when God touched my life and came out of that, there was a particular event that I stumbled into. And I remember that they had had, there was a, okay, let me explain it the best I can. They had this event around Halloween time that people come to, and it's different dramas. And a lot of lost people are invited to come. And then at the end of it, there's a bunch of dramas about different events. Ultimately, it's to lead people to Jesus. But at the end of it, for whatever goofy reason, they just simply had people talk, talk to them, and then they, went, they signed a paper and left. And I told the people there, I was like, man, you need to give them the gospel. Because I had brought some youth there, and after it, I, we had gotten back on the bus, and I was preaching the gospel to them, and they, they just, the power of God fell. They, they accepted the Lord. It was awesome. I was telling him about that. He said, well, can you help us and go in the decision room and just have people? And so that whole night, group after group was coming through and now they this just dropped on me they said well then help us out you just preach the gospel all night I was all right I was there for hours I'm glad at the time I was only like 20 years old I was doing this for hours and hours and hours a group would come in I had to give them the gospel and it was anointed I mean the power of God was there people would start crying um, people felt the fear of God some people just ran you know they didn't want the Lord they just left but there was a lot of people getting saved and it was why it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit doing it. It wasn't anything I did. It was the Holy Spirit. But as people were coming in, they were getting saved. I remember after doing this for hours, I was getting weary. And this, all of a sudden, I'll never forget this. It's kind of funny. This, um, this group of a bunch of old black women just walked in, you know. And I was there. I was all tired. And I started preaching the gospel. And, and, and they were saying, brother, they, they felt the power of God. They were saying, brother, they said, we all know Jesus. And uh, they're like, we're, we're just here. And, he, and they said, you, you look tired. And I said, man. And they, they laid hands and started praying over me. And I mean, the power of God hit me all over again. I felt like I just started. And so I started right back up again. God sent them ladies in there to help me out. But the power of the Holy Spirit was what was convicting and drawing people to Jesus. It wasn't anything else. And that's what I saw at Browns. And I saw night after night, the power of God, it was so strong. It would take a very very hard individual to not go down and give their life to the Lord in that atmosphere. And through the years, we've seen many miracles, healings, incredible things. I've seen uh, just incredible healings, actually. We've seen people delivered from demonic spirits many times. But all of this goes back to the clothing of power the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me say this too, because I want to come back to lines of inheritance. So when there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a clothing of power, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, this is really entering into the supernatural realm of Christianity. And there's going to be the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, gifts of, of tongues. And these various gifts I've seen gifts in operation very powerfully where somebody had a word of knowledge and then tremendous healings many stories I could give but I remember one uh, an older friend of mine was telling me he had had a heart condition and he couldn't do much he, he said he would go out and get tired in a short amount of time but on television there was a particular program that was on and they were given words of knowledge and, and healing and he said one word of knowledge said to the effect that somebody has a heart condition, God's healing. He said it felt to him, he's describing this to me, he said it felt to him like a jolt of power just punched him in the chest. But he said it, it was awesome and he felt that something had happened. He gets up the next day and not only could he do what he couldn't do before, but he said it's like his, God gave him a new heart. He said he was walking miles and wouldn't even get tired. Words of knowledge, healing gifts of healing seeing gifts of faith the working of miracles many times one that was really popular was during the Bay of Holy Spirit revival I remember 
a young evangelist was praying for a woman. She had, she had been a pastor's wife, and there was a car wreck. A drunk driver had come over and hit her car, hurt her spine. She had been paralyzed for years. This is well known. I mean, she had been on television paralyzed for years. Everybody knew her story. And they were praying with her, and the power of God began to move in her spine, and she stood up and started walking. And it was interesting because God not only healed her, uh, but it was such an awesome thing because everybody knew this woman as a minister's wife, and, and she had been very public on television. It was, it was just something that was undeniable. You know, I mean, she had had documentation of it. It was, it was just one of those awesome miracles, you know. And here she comes in high heels out preaching now, and, and it was just awesome. So the gift of faith, the working of miracles, see many things like that. Gifts of message in, in tongues, interpretation, prophecy. But honoring the fathers and mothers of Pentecost and the price they paid. So 1 Corinthians 4.20. The kingdom of God does not consist in words, logos there in the Greek, but in power, dunamis. Dunamis is the word used for power in the New Testament. It's where we get the word dynamite from. It's like an explosive power. So the, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Now, I've said this many times, but I, I really wasn't too worried about. I know with Brianna growing up that a lot of times people have kids grow up in church but they never really know the Lord and as they get older there's a lot of problems there and I never was really too overly concerned about Brianna because she had experienced and seen too much <laughs> it's undeniable and I remember what Paul said he said I don't come in eloquent words you're not going to win debates I mean you may win the argument, but that you're not going to win somebody's soul that way, you see. He said, I don't come in eloquent words. I come just preaching the simplicity of the gospel, but I come in demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith will rest in God and not man. I'm not here to debate and argue with you. I'm here to operate in power. And I remember, you know, Brianna growing up has seen so many healings and deliverances and experienced the power of God. She's been healed and set free of things and touched mightily by God many times. And, you know, a lot of times if somebody hasn't had the power of God in their life and they've experienced something real, they end up going to college and some evil professor that is just bent on ruining their faith gets up there and does everything he can to try to dissuade them away from the gospel and, and make fun of them and persecute them and all that and there's some people that have lost their faith over it. but I never was really too worried about anybody being able to pull that over on Brianna because at the end of the day they may win an argument but what are they going to say whenever she says I've seen in the name of Jesus the sick heal with my own eyes you'll never be able to take that from me I've seen with my eyes people manifest demons and get delivered in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Ghost. What do you say about that? I myself have been supernaturally healed in my body when I got prayer in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Ghost. You can never take that from me. You see what I'm saying? And so once people have really experienced something real and tangible and powerful, it's undeniable. But guys, this is what it's going to take. And let me get back to lines of inheritance. And I wanted to share from my heart about some things. So one of, one of those that are coming to the Pentecost conference will be Brother Holt. And, and you know, Sandy's testimony, she had come out of a lot of darkness. And her testimony is pretty famous now. It's gone around the world. What, on the 700 Club, on other shows and books and radio shows, etc.? Her testimony has echoed around this nation and other nations of the world. But Sandy had come out of such darkness, but I'm so thankful that whenever God brought her here to this region, he didn't, she didn't end up in some dead, dry place 
with no power because I don't believe that she would be doing well today. She ended up, as God would have it, in a Pentecostal, spirit-filled, powerful church that they, in a very real sense, helped to drive all of hell's kingdom out of her life <laughs> and bring the power of God. And she was baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire, clothed with power, tongue-talking, spirit-filled Christian. She needed that power to overcome. Am I telling the truth, Sandy? She needed the power of the Holy Ghost to overcome all of the things that she had come out of. Dead, dry religion, arguments, eloquent words, all of that was not going to bring the liberty in her life she needed and the victory that she needed, okay? It was going to take the power of God in her life. And she shortly ended up under the ministry of an incredible man of God, you know, Brother Holt, and I, I love him dearly. And he's just, uh, he's just such a sweet guy, but he is, he is a powerful man of God. And uh, I'll give you one story. There's a, man, there's a bunch of stories about Brother Holt. We could tell you the, the power of God, I'm just telling you. But I remember I had had um, something happen to me when I was around 29 years old, 28, 29. But something in my chest, in my heart, an infection or something, it really affected me. And I remember I went to him and I asked him to pray with me. And I remember he had put his hand on my chest and, and hand on my back. He was praying for me, and I felt the power of God shoot into my heart. I felt it physically. And I felt my heart begin to function like, you know, when you squeeze a ketchup packet? I felt it begin to function. So I, it was a healing, but it was really more like a working of miracles that took place. And I left out there feeling good, you know. But that's just one of many, many, many stories. And the power of God, last time I saw him, I'm going somewhere with this with lines of inheritance. Last time I saw him, Sandy and I were together, and he said, um, he said, all these years, he said, you guys keep coming back to, to me. And he said, remember, he said, I know why. He said, you keep being drawn back because of the power of God. You're hungry for the power of God. And he said, I'm hungry for the power of God. He, you know, church over the last couple of decades, has whatever gotten away from the move of God but I believe Holy Ghost revival is right around the corner I really do there's about to be another major move of God I'm gonna talk about next week but um, anyway he was telling us that and that maybe you were there at this time but at that particular church that he pastored all those years he said there was a service one time when he was up there and he was praying and the Holy Spirit fell so hard he looked out and he said everybody in that whole church at one time just was slammed on the floor by the power of God God do it again those are like reminiscent of the stories you read about at Cane Ridge in Hebrides aren't they you read about all these stories people in, in mass being struck to the ground under the power of God and getting it like I did at Brownsville getting up different see it's one thing to fall on the floor that doesn't impress anybody it's another thing when somebody gets up and their whole entire life is different they've had an encounter with the living God and just a few more stories about this, but lines of inheritance. I remember I was able to spend some time with Brother Steve Hill in uh, 2003. And I was talking to him about this, that, and the other. And he had seen such a mighty move of God at Brownsville, you know. And he had prayed over me and, and had a prophetic word. There was really a powerful impartation. But he told me a story, and I actually knew this story already so it was neat hearing it from him though and I didn't want to interrupt him I wanted to hear him tell it even though I already knew it you know but he was telling me this story he said there's this guy one this is one of thousands of stories that Brownsville lives were changed forever but this guy's wife ended up at Brownsville and she got mightily touched by God during the revival and she was so hungry and on fire for God and she was a totally different person she went there lost but she found the Lord I mean she was on fire she sounded different and he's talking to her on the phone, and she's trying to get him to come, and he's arguing with her. Now, this guy was a very hard individual. He was very driven. He was making a lot of money in the business world. He worked a lot of hours, and he, he was the type of person that 
that took pills to get up in the morning and get going, and he took them at night so he could sleep. You know, he was just a very driven individual. But he was also very hard and very calloused, and his wife kept working on him to come to church. And he was getting really angry about it, actually. But she said, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. If you'll come to church and just sit through a whole service and not argue, not fuss, not do anything, just sit through the whole service from beginning to end here at Brownsville, I'll never bring it up again. He said, you got a deal. Because he got tired of hearing it. And so he drives there and the storm hits. And it's like a blizzard or something where he was at. And they had shut down the roads and he had come upon a road and this cop told him, said, ma'am, you can't go through here. It's a blizzard. And he says, dangerous. And the guy said, I don't care. My wife, my wife's in some kind of crazy cult in Florida. He said, I'm going. And so he's, he, the cop's like this, you know, he's driving, took off. And uh, he made it, he survived. So he gets there and the service is going and he's coming in the back door and she's on, of course he's mad because she's on the front row. And so he's just walking down the aisle, just, you know, mad, probably saying a lot of things under his breath. He gets there, sits down beside her, arms folded, watching the service, and she's praying for him the whole time. So she's, she's trying to enter in, but she's distracted praying for him. She had been praying for him fasting. And he didn't want to be there. He didn't care. Verse Steve gave the altar call, same altar calls I was in, the same altar calls many times I was in. It, it was hard to not go down and get right with God. Even if you were saved, you wanted to go down and get right with God. This guy just sat there. And his wife's just kind of crying. She's saying, Lord, if this man can't get saved right now, there's no hope for this man. <laughs> She's crying, man. She says, Lord, you've got to do something. And he sat there, his arms folded, service is over. And he just looks at her and gets up. He's about to leave. And um, Brother Steve had come down, and they were going to start praying for people. And um, there was a lot of people around who saw this. Brother Steve was like, Hey, good to have you. He goes to shake his hand. And as soon as their hands touched, the power of God hit him. He went up in the air, hit the wall, melted under the power of God. Brother Steve didn't even know the story, didn't know anything about this guy, never seen him before. He just shook his hand. The guy's thrown in the air, hit the wall, and he thought, well, okay, God's good in some. So they go and they start praying for people. The wife's over there like this. You know, the guy was out under the power for a long time gets up he looks very different he had an encounter with jesus christ he gave his life to jesus he repented he got up a completely different person he was so different as a matter of fact his wife was just weeping for joy he moves he relocates his business endeavors relocates to pensacola so that that can be their home church at that church where he found jesus and i saw his interview about because it was in the documentary and he was just so on fire for God. And he said, you know, when we bought a house, we bought a house big enough where we could have a room that we just devoted for prayer in our house. We wanted there to be a room, a prayer room. And he said, we have people over, we worship and pray. And, and he was just a totally different person. You would have never thought that he was that hard and calloused. But you know what brought him to Jesus was not winning a debate with him. It wasn't eloquent words, was it? What brought that man to Jesus? The power of God. He had an encounter with God's power. Changed him forever. Down through history, we read, you know, accounts of great sweeping revivals. And I've, I've studied revival history, you know, under the, the ministry of people like Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield and, and um, the Wesley brothers during the First Great Awakening. I mean, that was typical in their meetings. You know, Edwards is a famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it was funny because he just... He wrote it on a piece of paper and was just like this, reading it in a monotone voice. But the power of God hit that place so intense that people said that they were white-knuckling the pews, thinking that they were going to fall straight down into hell right then. And that was the beginning of that revival. Wesley, Whitfield would preach, and people would get struck by the power of God and collapse under the power. And they'd be out for hours, and their whole lives would be transformed. They'd come out of those encounters with Jesus totally transformed. It reminds me of the scripture, it's not by human might or human power, human effort, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's what many places are lacking. And that's what God does when he brings revival. What does he do? 
He brings the power back to the church that we were supposed to always have. Well, Jesus told those, his disciples, go wait in Jerusalem. Don't do anything until you're clothed with power. Then start the church, start the movement. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's always been the power of the Holy Spirit. This whole church age has been marked by God's people being clothed with power and doing what Jesus did. And when people have gotten away from that, they have this dead, dry religious system that really doesn't change anybody. But what happens? There'll be a little group somewhere that prays until God falls. And then the power comes back again. You see, that's the story of the church, a history of backsliding. But yet there's always a remnant praying, and then God sends revival. And I believe the last couple decades, the church has been backsliding. But there's a remnant out there praying, and God's about to send revival again. So let me say this, and I want to close with lines of inheritance. There's spiritual inheritance. I'm going to do my best to explain this. Maybe by telling this story. So after I got touched really powerful in Brownsville, that became, in my life, something that was like my heritage. God had touched me. Spiritually speaking, it was an inheritance. But I was at this little church. God had me there, and I was just helping out. I was very young myself. And I would spend hours up there because God had touched me so deeply. I'd spend hours, you know, all day, late into the evening in the sanctuary by myself praying, reading the Bible, you know, playing worship CDs, stuff like that, just seeking God. And I had to learn how to pray because if you don't know how to pray, it can be pretty boring at first, right? So I was just, man, God, you got to help me. But God began to teach me how to pray, and I really began to experience the power of God there. But I remember there was these two elderly women that were intercessors. Y'all have heard me talk about them, Ruby and Addie. And they come up there to pray, and lo and behold, there's this young man there. You know, nobody had been there before. When they came, it was just them. And now I'm in there, and so needless to say, they begin to, to mentor me, begin to teach me how to pray. They begin to lay hands and pray over me. They began to really touch, you know, touch my life spiritually. They became like spiritual grandparents to me, grandmas. And this went on for a while, and God really touched my life through them. Something that they had with God went into my life. See, they really did become like grandmas. And it was interesting because years had gone by. I had learned how to pray I'm going through all these things. I remember in the ministry, I was probably going through one of the most difficult times. And I mean, I was being attacked on every side. I had gone through a major betrayal. I was really thinking about, am I even going to continue doing this or not? It was bad. And in that time, I remember that I was just going through praying for people at the house. And I was like, you know, I was just, in my mind, I was thinking, am I going to continue doing this or not? And as I was praying for people in a very difficult time, I remember Brianna getting hit by the power of God out of nowhere. I mean, people fall and get touched, but this was different. She was like really slammed. And when she hit the ground, I remember it was the craziest thing. All of a sudden, exploding out of her vocal cords sounded exactly like Ruby and Addie when they prayed in that sanctuary. I mean, it was weird because it sounded exactly like them. And I'm sitting there just looking at her. Lions of inheritance. See, I wasn't their literal grandchild. I don't even know for sure. I don't think Addie had kids. I don't know that the other lady's kids served the Lord or not. I don't know. Knowing how much she prayed, I'm sure she prayed them in. But spiritually speaking, I was their grandboy. You understand? So, so that generational blessing, heritage, or whatever went into me and found its way to her. And so there's, there's lines of inheritance. And I know that Brother Holt, for example, was a spiritual dad to Sandy. She did not have a good dad. But he became a spiritual daddy to her. 
And so it wasn't just a pastor. You understand? I'm trying to help people understand something. There's, there's, it can be different than that. It's not an institutionalized thing like you go to school and it's a classroom. Church isn't really supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be a family. And we're supposed to have mothers and fathers in the faith. And there's supposed to be lines of inheritance. Even though Brother Holtz was not your real dad, he became your dad. And the generational blessing on him went into her. And the same thing, he became like a spiritual dad to me too. There toward the end, and he was real instrumental in, in putting us together. He kind of match made. But anyway, he prayed over us. And I'm telling you that there's a generational line of inheritance that goes back to Brother Holt. And Pentecost. You understand? Pentecostal power. And I'll never forget, I remember this. It's interesting how these lines of inheritance work because I was praying through here one time for everybody. And I remember this very distinctly because it was an awesome thing. All of a sudden, I felt the exact same way that I felt when Brother Holtz prayed over us. I felt that on my life at that moment. I'm praying for people, and I happened to be praying with Brother Zach. And I remember saying something, this generational line of inheritance is yours. I remember him getting hit by the power right over there. There's something about generational lines of inheritance flowing and you know isn't it interesting I could tell so many different stories like this I'm trying to just be led by the Holy Spirit about what to share but isn't it interesting that God touched my life so powerfully at Brownsville it was meant to be okay that I ended up without meaning to I ended up in contact with Steve Hill right as he started that church in Dallas I was one of the early ones that was there when there was only a handful of people at his house. That him and I had time together. He laid hands, laid hands and prayed over me, imparted to me, taught me some things. He's the one that really was instrumental in planting this ministry here. And then he took sick and died. But isn't it interesting that I was crying out to God, who do I connect with, with revival and all that? And it ends up, listen to this story. So John Davis, when he was at Brownsville, years ago, 1995, John Davis had went there because Brother Kilpatrick asked him to come. He's there with his wife. The Holy Spirit falls. He gets hit by the power. His wife gets hit by the power. She's under a pew weeping. He said God did such a work in her he had never seen. He said she was like a child, that God even went back into her childhood and healed wounds that went back there. He said she was totally different. God touched him there, but listen to this. There's an interesting part of this story. As he's there, they're, they're getting all these requests to go minister places. They cannot go. They can't leave the revival. And so the pastor there, John Kilpatrick, said, you know, I feel, Brother John, that you need to be the one that goes out and takes the revival. And I feel, listen to this. He said, I feel that Steve needs to put his jacket on you and pass the mantle to you tonight. And so Steve said, follow me in the altar time. So they go through and start praying for people. And at some point, Steve Hill put his jacket on John and said, you know, the mantle's past you. He said that I, he'd never felt the power of God like that in his life. He grew up Pentecost, was out under the power of God for a long period of time, got up totally different. Isn't it interesting that without a whole lot of effort that I end up connecting? Steve took sick and died, but now I end up connecting with John who ordained my wife and I last year and is the spiritual father here, a covering of revival. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's meant to be. You understand, there's lines of inheritance that made sure, spiritually speaking, that Brother John and I, who's in Branson, by the way, we met, we connected. Why? Because it's the same roots. It's lines of inheritance. Where Brother Steve took sick and died, he came in and filled the void, and it's the same mantle. So these lines of inheritance are very powerful. And that's what this Pentecost conference I felt this year was about. That God wanted us to really honor those that's gone on before us. The Bible says to honor the fathers and mothers. It's not just your natural fathers and mothers. You better honor them. 
I've never seen where it goes well for people that don't. The Bible says it won't. Honor your father and your mother. But it's not just natural. What about our spiritual parents? That's one of the reasons why I talk about these revivals, and I honor them. I honor what tonight, talking about Edwards and Whitfield and Wesley Brothers, I honor them. Honor that revival, you see. Well, in the same way, I feel like as we have these come in, we honor them. There's something about Malachi, the hearts of the fathers to children, children to fathers. There's something about that spirit of Elijah and the power of God coming in. That's going to be awesome. So anyway, let's go ahead and shut down recordings tonight. I feel like that pretty much covers it.